0: As I was
1: driving on my way from Houston into Wharton, I saw something laying there and had to stop real sudden. A great big shiny pile of land smashed into the ground. I scratched my nose and opened my
0: door and got out to look around And there it was, the Wharton UFO And what it was, well I can't claim to know But there it was, it was a
2: calling me Those aliens on a collecting spree The belief in UFOs or alien spacecraft is thrown in with the likes of believing in ghosts, hauntings, cryptids like Bigfoot and what have you. But I think we are on the brink of something huge. A paradigm shift in the understanding of our place in the universe and the distinct possibility that we're not alone. I'm Leah. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm your host Steve. Welcome to part two of Look to the Skies. Welcome back. If
2: you have an appetite for the strange and bizarre, then pull up a chair and grab a spoon for another intriguing serving of Remnant Stew. Remnant Stew is gluten-free, organic, made from all natural, free-range ingredients and guaranteed to provide the recommended daily serving of curiosity.
0: All right. Well, before we look to the skies again, let's uh, take a look at the calendar. You know, I hope you all are enjoying a nice three-day weekend. Uh, uh, Sir Kraken is still in the afterglow of celebrating uh, Octopus Day last <laughs> Friday, which was October the 8th. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh but today is a, is a federal holiday. It is Columbus Day, October 11th. So I hope you're all enjoying your day off. You know Columbus Day used to be a really big holiday um particularly in the Italian uh, uh community, community in yeah. the United States. Um kind of fallen out of uh out of uh, vogue a little bit. Um
2: His reputation has been yeah, the, has been falling cuz we're not we're not so um
0: The more uh, you know about Columbus the less you <laughs> like him. <laughs> well, but I
2: think not just Columbus, all of our heroes that we used to just idolize and idolize and idolize and we were fed that. I think we're looking, we we have a little bit more of a true
1: look uh, I perhaps think, so. at some of them. But. Hey, they were human. They, they were, were human, human. that's, that's right. true, And
0: you, know, you admire them for the courage of taking off West when uh, everybody said you're going to fall over the edge, but that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, and also recent times, uh, more indigenous people have spoken up and say, yeah, we're not too keen on Columbus. <laughs> and so today is also celebrated as Indigenous People Day. So right, happy, happy Indigenous People Day. And up in Canada, today is Thanksgiving.
2: woo Happy oh, Thanksgiving wonder, to you guys up there.
0: I yep. wonder if you have a Canadian goose instead of a turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. Could be. Um, all right. Well, anyway, this Friday is a good day, October the 15th. It's International Day of Rural Women.
2: That's interesting. Yeah,
0: that's a good day, I think. International Day of Rural Women seeks to raise awareness about the role that rural women play, uh, rural women and girls play in their households and communities. When I say rural, R-U-R-A-L. It it, like
2: it's I'm, a weird word to say.
0: <laughs> rural women and girls contribute to agricultural development and are often responsible for the improving, uh, improving food quality. They often engage in difficult and even dangerous work with farm equipment and large animals. You know, I'll never will forget, uh, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were at a kind of a little smaller convenience store getting gas. And a large truck pulls in, pulling a very long horse trailer. And the driver very expertly backs the trailer. I can't back a trailer to save my life. So i was very <laughs> impressed that this driver was backing this trailer into a very tight space. And I commented to my wife, well, that person really knows what they're doing. Well, the cab opened and out hopped about a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> Wearing a baseball cap and a ponytail, so you know she really knew what she was doing. Uh, International Rural uh, Day of Rural Women is celebrated on October fifteenth every year. Um, Monday, October eighteenth is Alaska Day. Hey. All right, yeah. Alaska Day is observed on October eighteenth. The commemorates the transfer of the territory of Alaska from Russia to the United States, as well as the first time that the American flag was flown in Alaska on October eighteenth eighteen sixty seven. Wasn't
2: that known as like Seward's Folly? Seward's folly That's yeah. Right. William
0: Seward was a Secretary of State and he um he negotiated the, uh, the the sale with Russia. Uh by the way the sale price seven point two million dollars are thirty seven cents per acre. So I think wow. we got a pretty good deal. And oh it yeah it wasn't
2: it wasn't viewed that way at first. That's the right. reason well, it was called uh, Seward's Folly. They thought well, that I he think had that, bought uh, this I was ice about junk it
0: that uh, there was a lot of favor, but there were, of course, always political opponents that will say that. Sure, so, you know, sure. So, but it turned
2: uh, out to be amazing. Uh, it
0: turned out to be a great day, so happy happy day to all of our listeners up in Alaska, Alaska Day. Uh, by the way, it's also the birth, birth date of my twin stepdaughters, Laura and Sarah, who were featured on our twins episode, so, happy, happy birthday. birthday. And now, Wednesday, October 20th. This is a good day. Have you ever uh, worked as a waiter or a waitress, either of you?
2: I have not, thankfully, I nope. think. No, yeah. I, I, I haven't know.
0: either. Uh, my wife did for a while. But uh, today is, Inter- is National Waiters Day in the United Kingdom, and why don't we make it worldwide for right? that matter? Let's right. just declare that here and now. When it comes to having a pleasant and memorable experience, a waiter or waitress is worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. Today is your opportunity to express your appreciation for all the waiters and waitresses at the restaurants, bars, and clubs that you frequent. This day is always celebrated on October the 20th. So happy Happy Waiters Day to all of our friends in the food service uh, wait industry.
2: You know, I wish I wish in this country we would do just like they do over in Britain. Where there is just no tipping,
0: right? They that's get not, a good salary and you don't yeah, worry about. Yeah, that's tipping. right.
2: They get a good salary and they don't have to 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 rely on tipping.
0: Right, and I know a lot of those folks have really had a rough time in the last uh, year of have so to, many yeah. restaurants being uh, only partially open or not open uh, for dine in service. So yeah, tip your waiters, tip them well.
1: Just don't tip them
0: over. That'll be your call whether you leave that in.
2: (laughs) Okay, so UFOs. We can't talk about little green men without first talking about whether we believe in them. So like I said in the opening, believing in UFOs kind of falls under the subject of woo, the belief in things that science cannot definitively prove the existence of or the non-existence of. We so, Steve, know. Phil, who would, where do y'all fall in this? Do y'all believe in UFOs, aliens, that sort of? Do you have any? Uh, I believe that there stories? are sometimes
1: that there are things that you just can't figure out how it happened.
0: Right, and I think that uh, you know, well, certainly UFO is a Unidentified flying object doesn't right. necessarily mean it's a it's a, from a different planet. Absolutely. Um, yet there are certain uh, even uh, just recently the government released a study with video saying uh, there's some things we just don't know what they are. You That's know?
2: right. Well, you're kind of jumping ahead of me there. <laughs>
0: <I'm sorry. laughs>
1: I will say, yeah, I can't be the only thing in the universe. <laughs> right,
2: so so no abduction stories or anything like that, guys.
0: Yeah, uh, no, not that I'm uh, that I'm aware of. Unless I had one of those, uh, you know, those little. little
2: I mind yeah,
0: yeah, no, I just don't
1: remember it. the remember it happening. <laughs> yeah. But well, I swear I was six two at one point.
2: <laughs> right, right. Well, I've seen things in the night sky that I didn't quite know what I was looking at, but I, nothing I would like definitely think of as a UFO. So I've never had any personal experience with flying saucers or anything like that. And I should also say that I believe very strongly in the power of suggestion yeah, and how it can affect people's perceptions, resulting in a lot of false beliefs oh, yeah. that people hold on to very firmly, like right. really firmly. So with that said, though, there are so many stories down through the ages of things in the sky, moving with seeming intelligence. Right. Stories that if you take them one by one and and you pick them apart and hold them under a magnifying glass, they can then know, you know, until they no longer appear that they have any mystery left to them. But if you take these stories together and pile them up, it creates an impressive mountain of evidence that's not so lightly dismissed. Uh, So let's explore some of those stories and perhaps you'll come to think a little bit differently about our so-called lonely existence in the universe. Okay. So starting out, let's do a brief cultural history of UFOs. An interesting article. UFO at culture. That's right. Well, you know, it's it yeah. It's really entwined. And we're going right. to talk about American culture because that's right. what my experience is. Um, but it really is interwoven and it has changed over time. Um, so there was a very interesting article at theconversation.com. Uh, where this uh, there's a, gives us a brief Western cultural history of UFOs. And the idea that alien civilizations existed goes back to ancient times and was being actively discussed among theologians and philosophers for a long time. But in the late 1800s, and, and we have stories to back this up, the late 1800s and early 1900s, things changed when people started s- reporting sightings of flying ships, like those that float on the ocean. Some even reported steam-powered ships in the sky. And then came 1947. All right. A sighting of a UFO was reported by a pilot by the name of Kenneth Arnold. He said that while flying his small plane near Mount Rainier, a glimmer caught his eye, and when he looked, he saw what he described later as nine very odd-shaped vessels flying in formation. He was concerned he was going to collide with that formation. This was all reported to authorities, and then Arnold talked to reporters.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah,
2: saying, and, and he said... And I quote, they flew like a saucer would if you skipped it across the water. Well, reporters ran with the story, and someone coined the term flying saucers. Flying saucers, saucers, okay. That's right. So Americans devoured the story. And quoting from the Conversation.com article, this was the beginning of the phenomenon that some called the flying saucer era and the contemporary idea of UFOs. Right. It also was the time that the government, specifically the Air Force, started looking into the possibility of UFOs. And to consider what danger they they posed, if any, right. So from that time and up into the 90s, what was going on? It was the Cold War. So people, yeah. for the most part, did not consider UFOs to be the proof of the existence of aliens. I mean, there was always right. that faction, but for the most part, people thought that it was the, the Russians spied up upon. Yeah. Well, the Russians, or even our government, yeah. right. uh, testing out secret secret right. weapons, and some of that was true. Some of that okay. was true. They mm-hmm. saw uh, certain prototypes of things that, that came later. So belief in extraterrestrial life was considered to be along the same lines, like I said, of believing in ghosts or cryptids. And then the end of the Cold War, uh, the American interest in UFOs began to wane and media coverage was minimal. Right. Then in 2017, something happened that brought UFOs to the forefront of American media. The New York Times published an article exposing a previously unknown Pentagon UFO study program, which set off a UFO frenzy reminiscent of the 1940s and 50s. That's still going struggling today. Since then, the government has released other documents surrounding its focus on UFOs, and there's been a shift in the scientific community from disdainful skepticism to the attitude that maybe there are things that need to be looked into more scientifically. Right. With the shift, the terminology, I don't know if you knew this, of unidentified flying objects, UFOs has been set aside. Okay. Now the more dignified term of UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Yeah, unidentified so they kept that Aerial aerial
0: phenomenon.
2: Has taken its place as the scientific community in America as a whole. Are opening their eyes to the possibility of extraterrestrial encounters.
1: Yeah, oh, so, UFO still sounds better, I I, right, and I think that's always going
2: to be there. But it's a little kitschy, you know. Yep, yeah.
1: yep, 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 yep.
2: And I think I think the scientists just didn't want to be considered <laughs> ufologists, you know.
1: Right? Well, yeah. Then so that, let's come yeah. up with a. You there's know, that cultural issue there. for Difference, sure. yeah.
2: So UFOs, UAPs, same thing. Just you know, one's a little more bougie. Uh, so this is in no way a comprehensive list, but rather some of the more interesting stories. Exactly. So, Steve, you want to start us out with one?
0: Yeah, um, let's go up. We're still a, we're we're coming to you from the greater Cut and Shoot, Texas area, and uh, a little bit up the road, in, uh just north of Fort Worth is a small town called Aurora, Texas. Aurora is a small farming community about forty miles to the north of Fort Worth. The town is about 800 residents and a very controversial cemetery. An article written in the Dallas Morning News in April 1897 by a reporter named E. E. Hayden told a fantastic story about an incident, uh, incident that occurred in Aurora. According to Hayden, a cigar shaped spaceship had collided with a windmill that belonged to a <laughs> prominent member of the community, one Judge J. S. Proctor. Hayden further stated that the spaceship was piloted by a creature that was, quote, not from this world, but who didn't survive the crash.
1: Because he was drunk. I don't know. He was a teenager.
2: It was spring (laughs) break, you know.
0: (laughs) Joyriding. Going to Aurora, Texas, of all places. Hayden then claimed that the townspeople gave the alien a proper Christian burial (laughs) in the local cemetery.
1: Did they call him Steve? I don't know.
0: (laughs) And that the remains of the spaceship were dumped down a well. Now, as you can imagine, this news caused quite a a stir. Evidently, 1897 was a year of several UFO sightings. In fact, as you were mentioning UFO culture a minute ago, uh, UFO enthusiasts referred to that year as, quote, the year of the great airship because of the numerous sightings that were reported. At first, dozens of people descended upon Aurora seeking information about the alleged incident. However, the townspeople either pretended not to know or else actually didn't know anything about the incident at all. The story died down after a few weeks. But What are
1: you talking about, Willis?
0: <laughs> but then in the 1970s, Hayden's article was rediscovered by a group of UFO enthusiasts, and once again, Aurora became the scene of interest as numerous curiosity seekers stopped by to inspect the local cemetery. <laughs> Members of something called the International UFO Bureau...
1: <laughs> Men in black, here they come!
0: They sought to exhume the supposed grave of the alien, but local townspeople raised a fuss. One resident named Karen Tidrow told a reporter from the Houston Chronicle, quote, the residents had guns and everything because they didn't want them to do it. (laughs) You can't take Steve! And I understand because my parents were buried there, and I don't want them digging around uh, earthly body or not. They ought to let it rest in peace. (laughs) So is the story true? Well, skeptics point out That there was no mention of the incident in the local papers from the time. There are other towns in the area that are closer than Dallas. A local historian also has a tape recorder, uh, tape recorder interview that was made in the 1970s with a local resident who was 11 years old in 1897, and he claims that no such incident happened. That's all, that it was all a hoax. The same historian points <laughs> out
2: laughing about over there, like like they would, you know. Maybe, he was eleven. Maybe. He's eleven. <laughs> he, so was, was he so
1: working they, on the farm? Well, he you said, know, maybe did he didn't see that windmill. Yeah.
0: but he said news of such an event would have gotten around, and he would have heard about it. Basically, was his point on the, <laughs> well, in the recorded interview. The same historian points out that Hayden, the author of the article, was not a staff writer for the Dallas Paper, but was a stringer. Who happened to have real estate ties to Aurora? You see, Aurora had just lost getting the railroad to another town and it was on the verge of drying up and blowing away as a community. <laughs> Perhaps Hayden was hoping to kindle new interest in the town when he wrote the article. That's the conclusion of most of the residents today. Nevertheless, every three or four years, someone rediscovers the story. And the, about the alien pilot being buried in the local cemetery and the mythology continues to grow.
2: Well, you know, Roy has stayed around, so Yeah. yeah. It, it worked.
0: At least at least Hayden's article had some effect. Well, now, um, this is kind of a it's a sad story, actually, this next one. Uh, it involves actually a World War Two hero, Captain Jamas uh, Captain Thomas Francis Montell Junior. He was born in Franklin, Kentucky, your home state. Mm-hmm. On June 30th, 1922, he was a graduate of Mayo High School in Louisville. On on the 16th of June, 1942, he joined the Army Air Corps, graduating flight school on June 30th, 1943. He was part of the air combat operations on D-Day at the Normandy Landing. He was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, and air medal with three oak leaf clusters. That ind- indicates that yep. he spent a lot of time flying in many, many missions. Uh, he was rewarded uh, rewarded for his heroism as well. Following the war, he returned to Louisville, joining the newly organized Kentucky Air National Guard as a flight leader. Of course, we are all familiar with the alleged UFO crash that occurred in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Perhaps that was on the minds of officials at Godman Air Force Base near Fort Knox, Kentucky, in January of 1948, probably also the flight from Mount Rainier as well, the flying saucer, uh, when observers in the control tower noticed a strange silver object hovering near the airfield. Local highway department officials noticed it too and began calling the airfield for an explanation. It just happened that at that moment, Captain Mantell was on a training mission in an F-51 Mustang fighter plane. He was leading a, a group of four Mustangs when he was contacted by the control tower at the airfield in order to investigate the object. As the fighters approached, the object began to move rapidly and gain altitude. As they reached 20,000 feet, the three other Mustangs returned to base as they were low on fuel or oxygen, but Captain Mantell continued pursuit. At approximately 22,000 feet, Mantell radioed, Mantell to tower. It appears to be a metallic object and of tremendous size. That was his last transmission. It seems that he continued to pursue the object, however, his plane was not equipped with enough oxygen to sustain uh, consciousness at that high altitude, and he most likely blacked out. Sadly, Mantell's plane crashed at 3.16 that afternoon, and in an odd coincidence, it crashed occurred in uh, Franklin, Kentucky, his original hometown. He is the first and only known person to die in pursuit of a UFO. The story of Mantell's death while chasing an unidentified flying object made headlines across the country and across the world. Uh, an intense military investigation of the incident began, uh, became part of Project SIGN, S-I-G-N, which later became Project Blue Book, which was the military's investigation into UFOs. Much speculation and conjecture has been written about the incident, and it is still uncertain what Mantell was pursuing at the time of the crash. Initially, investigators theorized that Mantell was, was killed, quote, trying to reach the planet Venus. <laughs> now, as crazy as that sounds, the theory does hold some weight. Uh, before this, a few months before this, F-51 pilots had been fooled to thinking that the planet Venus, which happened to be unusually bright in the night sky at that time, was a UFO and had given chase just weeks before this incident. Uh, Though this was the official explanation after Mantell's crash, astronomers at the Ohio State University disproved this hypothesis in the year after, uh, as the sky was too bright and hazy in the day for Venus to be clearly observed, and followed by four uh, F-51s of the Kentucky Air Guard. A second, more plausible theory was put forward. Mantell might have actually been pursuing a Navy skyhook weather balloon. At the time, the Skyhook was part of a highly classified observation program, which neither Mantell and his fellow F 51 pilots nor the Godman airfield controllers would have been informed about. Though the Air Force's official explanation for Mantell's incident has remained unchanged over the years, many still question it today and have since viewed the service's mad dash to come up with answers as a sign of the military's hiding the existence of alien life forms. Uh, some right. information for this came from the Kentucky National Guard's website, and also from a television station WFIE in Evanston, uh, Evansville, Indiana.
2: And you know, I mean, it was it, that's not. A fun story obviously right. it's a sad story but it is kind of funny that that the whole weather balloon thing yeah. you know it seems like the military always says uh, a, or the government <laughs> I mean always says yeah I, oh it's a water it, balloon or gas so I'm thinking like we need to print on all the weather balloons <laughs> hey this is weather <laughs> this balloon is a,
0: not a UFO
2: okay so you mentioned some of those uh, things let's talk about um, so, some terminology because of the, the 1977 Spielberg movie, we've all heard of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. But what does that mean? And what are Close Encounters of the First and Second Kind? <laughs> so according to Wikipedia, astronomer and UFO researcher Joseph Allen Hynek wrote a book in 1972 called The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry or Inquiry. Um, that sounds like such a 70s book. Right. <laughs> in the book, Heineck devised a scale to classify encounters with UFOs or aliens. So so the first is nocturnal lights, lights in the night sky, just right. as simple right. as that. And then there's daylight disks, UFOs seen in the daytime, generally having a disk type or oval shape.
0: You should have included disco lights. Since right. Disco over. lights. <laughs> Just go ball.
2: <laughs> that means you're partying. Yeah. Um, then there's radar visual, which is uh, UFO reports that have radar confirmation. Uh, those These supposedly try to offer harder evidence that the objects are real, although radar propagation can also uh, be Occasionally discredit it due to atmospheric propagation. Like, you know, the balloon release. Remember that balloon release? That showed up on radar. Exactly. Um, And then there's close encounters of the first kind. Visual sightings of unidentified flying objects seemingly less than 500 feet away that show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. I don't know what that angular extension means. means
0: I guess that means it has more than one dimension to it. Yeah,
2: I guess so. And then close encounters of the second kind is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference with the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, or physiological effects such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness. Hmm. Some physical trace, like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise uh, affected vegetation, or a chemical trace. Then there's close encounters of the third kind. UFO encounters in which an animated entity... Is present. These include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. Okay,
0: so that's what that meant. I always wondered. All right. That,
2: yeah. And so later, okay, and so that's where he ended that. But later, Hynek's scale was expanded to include the following because, you know, we go beyond we gotta that. you got
0: to keep on going. Uh, that's the new and right. an expanded scale. Yes.
2: Close encounters of the fourth kind, a UFO event in which a human is abducted by a oh, UFO yeah. or its occupants. I don't want to be part of that one. And then uh, no close encounters of necessary. the fifth kind. And like, I'm like, How much further can you go than that? Um, A UFO event claiming direct communication between aliens and humans. And before you dismiss Hynek as being crazy, please know that he acted as a scientific advisor to UFO studies undertaken by the U.S. Air Force under these three projects.
1: Nice.
2: Project Sign that you mentioned mentioned was from 1947 to 1949, an official U.S. government study undertaken by the U.S. uh, Air Force. The goal of the project was to collect, evaluate and distribute within the government all information relating to UFO sightings on the premise that they might represent a national security concern. Well, apparently, somebody in there, and, and there was there was somebody in there that was like, "Really, that's a lot of bull uh, and <laughs> and, be, and had project grudge.
0: Project Grudge. <laughs> that, that's, so, that's a good use of your tax dollars. Yeah, <laughs> From
2: 1949 to 1951, it was a short-lived project that took the stance that UFOs could not possibly exist. Of course. And the efforts by Project Sign uh, was crap. <laughs> Basically <laughs> fell short in following standard intelligence procedures. Um, but the, that project didn't last long. Project Blue Book came after that from 52 to 69. And it had two goals, namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security, because that's important, and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data.
0: I think also there was a third goal too to to give you the price of a good used uh, used UFO you know from the Blue Book.
2: That's great. Hey
0: Kelly, you got <laughs> any
1: you got any uh, advice on that?
2: <laughs> okay, all right, bring it back in. So listen to this. Okay, Blue Book pro- or Project Blue Book was terminated in '69, with the following summary of its investigations. No UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of a threat to our national security. There was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. And there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extraterrestrial vehicles. By the time Project Blue Book ended, it had collected 12,618 UFO reports and concluded that most of them were misidentifications of natural phenomena, such as clouds, stars, Venus, (laughs) et cetera, or conventional aircraft or weather balloons. Um, According to the National Reconnaissance Office, a number of the reports could be explained by flights of formerly secret reconnaissance planes, U-2 U2 and A-12. However... Seven hundred and one reports were classified as unexplained, even after stringent analysis. Wow. UFO reports were archived and are available under the Freedom of Information right. Act, but names and other personal def- information of all the witnesses have been
0: redacted. Hey, we need another episode. Just uh, we'll dig into those seven hundred and one reports, no.
2: one, one by one. Pull up it's a chair,
0: tedious, folks. Sounds <laughs> well, kind of tedious.
1: Now for today's bookshop spot. The
2: part of the show where we take you on a virtual tour of one of the most magical of places. An independent bookshop.
0: Our our bookshop spot today is Pamlico Books. Pamlico Books is located in the beautiful town of Washington, North Carolina at 149 North Market Street. They are named for and located just a block from the Pamlico River. I've seen pictures of it. It really looks beautiful. According to their website, their motto is, Reading is better by the river. (laughs) Yes, I Very well said. I think nice idea said by the river with a nice book. Pamlico Books is owned by Tom and Deb Ryan, and they just opened a few months ago in June of 2021. According to Tom, the town had lacked an independent bookstore for a number of years, and once we decided to move there, we couldn't stand the thought of not having a local bookstore, so we opened one ourselves. Nicely That's right. Done. You see you know, a
2: problem, fix a problem.
0: I, I really admire that because I've been wanting a teriyaki chicken place here in our town for years, but <laughs> I didn't go to the trouble of doing <laughs> one myself.
2: Get um, on that, Steve. Anyway,
0: the community has embraced us, and almost every customer tells us how happy they are to have a bookstore again. Once we are clear of COVID, we hope to offer children's story time sessions as well as author events. Now, in addition to new books and gifts, Pamlico Books offers a very unique service, free college counseling workshops. Isn't this great? Oh, that oh, nice. is great. All right. That yeah, is really great. Nice. Is it a college town? Uh, it is not a college town, but I, I'm, not, not, I'm not certain that it is. I don't think it is. Uh, but it's in, in the eastern side of North Carolina, so there are colleges in oh. the area for sure. Tom explains that his wife, Deb, is also owns a college counseling business. But folks who sign up through the bookshop's website can obtain free college counseling. Wow! That's really nice, isn't it? And this opens up advanced educational opportunities to many folks in eastern North Carolina who wouldn't normally be able to access them. Tom states that their building dates to 1908. Wow! Yeah, one of their renovation projects has been restoring the original uh, original tin ceiling. I like those really oh, old. Oh yeah! Tin wow. Wow. I too. Yeah. Well, if you're not fortunate enough to be in beautiful Washington, North Carolina, then please check out their website at www.pamlico, that's P-A-M-L-I-C-O-B-O-O-K-S dot com, pamlicobooks.com.
2: They're also on Facebook and Instagram, aren't they? Exactly. Okay. Okay, so this next story is... uh, is interesting. It's a story of of Granger Taylor and his subsequent disappearance. It's one of the most sensational and unbelievable stories associated with UFOs. No one really knows exactly what happened to Granger, but it's too good a story to pass up. No, I had love, to include love a good it. story.
0: Never let the facts get in the way of a good That's story. Right.
2: Uh, okay, so in 1980, a 32-year-old year Granger Taylor was living uh-huh. with his parents in British Columbia in Canada. Taylor dropped out of school sometime around the eighth grade and began working as a local mechanic working with local mechanical shops. Right. He'd become infatuated with machines and was noted among his friends and family that Taylor had an uncanny ability to fix almost anything. He rebuilt locomotives, bulldozers, cars, trucks, and even airplanes. Oh, wow. He guy
0: to have around. Yeah, exactly. he was
2: really mechanically inclined. Even though he was a high school dropout and tended to be socially awkward, most people around town considered Taylor to be highly intelligent due to his mechanical genius. Right. But then Taylor started talking about Aliens. Yeah. He focused his efforts to build a radio to communicate with aliens. After he had had several recurring dreams about alien abduction, and he mm-hmm. actually believed that these aliens were
0: communicating, communicating
2: you know? right through these dreams. Then on the night of November twenty ninth, nineteen eighty, in the middle of a storm, Granger Taylor left a note for his parents, walked out the door, and was never seen again. Ciao. See you later. Mm-hmm. So, so we have uh, a picture of his his note and it says it's it's dated uh for november 29th 1980 and then it says dear mother and father i have gone away to walk around an alien spaceship as recurring dreams assured see assured a 42 month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe then return i am leaving behind all of my possessions to you and and in my will, no longer will as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help love Granger. Wow! So and it, again, he was never seen again. So um, it, both his family and the police spent months searching for him, but no one could uncover any leads of where Taylor could be Hmm. then almost six years later in the in march of 1986 local forestry workers found a blast site near mount provost not far from taylor's parents house a report by the bc uh, the british columbia coroner's service confirmed that the vin number taken from truck parts found at the site matched that of taylor's truck there were also bone fragments found as well and it was determined that taylor had died on the night of his disappearance the cause of death w- listed on the report was massive injuries due to the consequence of an explosion based on circumstantial evidence at the site, according to the report. So there's no DNA or anything right, like that. Right. Of course, back then there wasn't. But so, but Taylor's close friend, Robert Keller, is not convinced. Talking about the evidence found at the blast site, he says, and I quote, The police said it was a blue truck, but his truck was Pepto-Bismol pink. <laughs> <laughs> I helped him paint it by my, with myself. He said, what they found on the mountain was not Granger's truck. They have no idea if it was Granger's bones or not. So, to this day, nobody really, really knows, knows what, what happened. happened yeah. So, whether he blew himself up with a load of dynamite, like, why would he even do that? Nobody said, you know, yeah. everyone said he wasn't suicidal. and uh, Or if he's, you know, cruising about the galaxies with his alien friends. So- <laughs> What's up? So, I got a lot of that information from... Uh, uh, timescolonist.com
0: Interesting. There's, really, there's a lot going on there. Yeah,
2: there was a lot going <laughs> on there, but it was a cool story. There
0: was a lot going on there. Um, I, I can recall when I was a teacher at a mental hospital in uh, Washington State, I would often get questions about, you know, uh, from patients that were wanting to have relations with uh, aliens and, you know, can you get social diseases from having... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, so, my. <laughs> so is that
1: Close Encounters of the Seventh Kind? Oh, <laughs> oh,
2: oh,
0: oh. I'm thinking so.
2: Oh, don't you have another story for us? I
0: think <laughs> I do. Let's move on. <laughs> well, this is, a, this, is a, this is a strange story. And this is one of those that doesn't really have any logical answers. And um, it had to do with a place called the Ariel School which is located in Rura, Zimbabwe. It's actually an elite private school for the children of local and foreign dignitaries and business people, people doing business in Zimbabwe. The children attending this school are from multiple backgrounds, races, and cultures. Curious thing occurred there in 1994. 62 children between the ages of 8 and 12 reported seeing a UFO and strange beings during their mid-morning break. The aerial school is situated in a rural area east of Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe. Uh, There is a large playground, which borders a brushy area, and then beyond the brushy area is a hill. According to the children's accounts, while they were out for their playground one morning in 1994, uh, they saw one main silver craft and four smaller ones come down on the hill beyond the brushy area. They ran to the edge of the brushy area, and there they saw a small creature walking around on top of the craft while another one came down the hill toward the children. He was all in black, in a very tight suit, and he had big eyes like rugby balls. (laughs) The children went screaming back to their teachers, who didn't believe them. But then they went home and told their parents, uh, who came back to the school the the following day, wanting to know what had happened. The children were asked to draw pictures of what they saw, and they all drew nearly identical pictures. Mm. A BBC film crew interviewed the students separately, and their accounts were strikingly similar. Fourteen years later, in 2008, a documentary tracked down the 62 children who were by that time young adults. Remarkably, their stories remained the same as when they had first been interviewed in 1994, and there's still no definitive explanation for what they experienced.
2: That's right. I saw that documentary. It was really interesting, all the teachers were inside having a a meeting right, and the kids were outside and uh and so when they were screaming the te- some of the teachers saw that too. they didn't see everything that the kids had seen, but right. they saw something odd in that, but they were so concerned about bringing the kids Bring in the kids and in, yeah. and let's gather and, and yeah and calm everyone down it was It was really interesting
0: yeah it's it's how how they all gave an identical a nearly identical picture in accounting uh it certainly
1: is odd. And it's interesting they said the size of a rugby ball.
0: Yeah. Well, you know,
1: yeah, kids well, like, kids only well,
2: have so much to, um, to explain. But again, it's
1: not like a soccer ball or something like that, but a well, rugby I think it ball, was more, which is similar to an American football, just a little bit fatter. An oval shape.
2: Yeah, so maybe like almond-shaped right. eyes yeah, or whatever.
1: Right. Right. Or a helmet. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and now for something completely off-topic and off-kilter. Brace yourself for the oddity du jour.
0: All right, for our oddity today, uh, you know, Leah, I was remembering the other day about my first wife, Sherry. Uh, She passed on 14 years ago, but a few years before that, she taught psychology at the local community college here. Uh, During that class, students were taught about the the work of B.F. Skinner and his work on rats.
2: Yeah, I know about Skinner.
0: Uh, During this demonstration, uh, Sherry became surprisingly attached to one of the rats. It appeared that the rat loved seeing her and would run to her every time she came uh, to its cage. She became accustomed to holding this particular rat, letting it crawl on her shoulder. I can't say that she it really surprised me because she was never really a, a rodent person before this. Um, then the rat would curl up in the, in the pocket of her jacket and go to sleep. So after a couple of weeks, uh, the Skinner uh, unit was finished, and Sherry learned that the rats were going to be given to a local pet store and used as snake food. Oh, no. Not this one, she said. <laughs> when I arrived home that day, I learned that we had a new pet rat. <laughs> Steve Jr.
2: <laughs> I didn't know that you ever had a rat. And I've I've heard that they are really intelligent and, well, and everything.
0: Yeah, this one was quite surprising. I have to admit that the rat was pretty cute, actually. She was a patchwork of black and white. And kind of looked like a Chihuahua with an excessively long tail, you know, (laughs) really low, long, low Chihuahua. (laughs) We named her Daisy, and for the next two years, she was a beloved member of our family. She had a cage, uh, but often we would let her run loose through the house. She knew her name, and she would come running whenever we called her Daisy. Daisy, and here she'd come scampering through. Um, Our old cats—by that they were—they were pretty old. uh, The ones we had at the time. And they were really too lazy to chase her. She'd even run right over them, and they would only kind of look at her. (laughs) Well, anyway, I ran across an article in oddstuffmagazine.com about rats, and I thought uh, that I'd give us some rat trivia (laughs) for our oddity today. Uh, Rats have a powerful social chain of command. The largest and strongest rats will get the best food and the best living place. They tend to be very socially oriented. They love being in the group of their own species, or with humans. They like playing collectively, and they love to sleep all curled up together. They take care of injured and sick rats in their group. When rats don't have friendships, they become lonely, depressed, anxious, and stressed. I'm not sure who figured that out, but um, <laughs> uh, some researcher that, that rat is all depressed.
1: No right? rats were in. No rats were hurt in the uh, making of this section.
0: Exactly, that's correct. Now. I always like the uh, you know the the group names of animals. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I do too. Like um, uh, a, a a group of bears is a sloth.
2: Pride uh, of lions. Pride of
0: lions. Murder a, of
2: crows. Murder
0: of crows. Uh, a a business of ferrets. Although I
2: don't <laughs> not know. Like that one. Not
0: sure what business they'd be in. Maybe loan sharks. But you know uh-huh. <laughs> you know what a group of rats is called. No. A mischief.
2: Okay, so that, I I think that makes sense. Yeah,
0: they're up to something for sure. Um, Rats are sharp animals. They are more intelligent than rabbits, hamsters, mice, gerbils, and guinea pigs.
2: Some of the humans, I know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: They also have excellent memories. Um, The Romans considered the rat to be a sign of good luck. Rats have been proven to make uh, laughter-like noises when tickled.
2: And they dream while they're
0: sleeping. Yeah. Some Hindus believe that when a child dies, they are reincarnated as a rat. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, in India, there is a temple called the Temple of Karni Devi, uh, and it's entirely dedicated to rats. They actually put uh, because they believe that perhaps they are children that have died that are now rats. Rats have strong teeth that allow them to chew through glass, cinder blocks, wire. Aluminum and lead. Oh. They can squeeze through a hole the size of a quarter. Um, Reminds uh, you
1: of an octopus. <laughs> yes.
0: The, uh, the rat that we had, we had her in a big plastic cage, but she, could, she would actually chew right through the tubing and everything after a while. Uh, and finally, you may have heard the expression, like rats leaving a sinking ship. Well, it's unknown whether rats can actually determine whether a ship is going to sink or not. But the original expression from the 1600s didn't actually involve a ship. It was thought that rats could sense that a house or other structure was in decrepit condition and was in danger of falling. Like rats that quit the house before it falls became a popular expression in the 1600s. And it was always uh, seemed to have political overtones. (laughs) (laughs) It was used to describe people who were rapidly abandoning a minister, a policy, or a position that was going to fall the late 1600s, the reference was expanded to include rats leaving a burning house. I remember somebody telling me I was seeing a barn on fire and the rats were running away from that. It wasn't until the late 1700s that rats were ref- uh, referred to as abandoning a sinking ship. So there you go. Everything and even more that you wanted to know about rats.
2: And now for something really smashing. Okay, so, so back to our topic. Let's talk about UFOs today. In February of 2020, we oh my goodness, we were in the midst of the frenzy surrounding the beginning of the COVID pandemic right. quarantine uh, in America, at least, and among the, the all these protests that came about because of it, and toilet right. paper shortage, shortage yeah. murder hornets. Do you remember that? That never, <laughs> nothing murder ever hearts, came yeah. of that. Um, but there was the added chaos of the Navy releasing documents pertaining to reported UFO sightings right. by servicemen. So according to a report on NBC News, these documents that were released contained Navy fighter pilots reports of close encounters with unidentified aerial vehicles, including several dangerously close in eight different incidents between June 27th, 2013 and February 13th uh, of 2019, with two of the incidences actually happening on the same day. There was video leaked of aerial phenomena captured in July of 2019 by Navy aircraft and recorded in the USS Omaha's Combat Information Center. The Navy has authenticated the video and said it will be reviewed by the Pentagon's unidentified, see here we go, unidentified aerial phenomena. Task force. UAP. That's right, because it sounds better than UFO. So the release of the okay, the release of the video coincided with an interview that 60 Minutes did. Like it just was right. released a couple day, days before this interview was released, and you know the interview happens yeah. before it's released, kind of like our, our episode. I remember so seeing this true. interview? And yeah. so yeah, and so just a couple days before that that interview was released, uh, this video. Was released. Okay, so the interview was with uh, 60 Minutes, did it with two former Navy pilots discussing their 2004 investigation of, quote, multiple anomalous aerial vehicles. That it descended 80,000 feet in less than a second.
0: That's a, that's moving. Quickly. That's quick.
2: This incident also occurred off San Diego. So the object seen in the video. Okay, so they have video of that 2004 incident. It's beca- became known as Tic Tac, due to one of the pilots, Commander Dave Fravor, saying that personnel found quote a little white Tic Tac looking object <laughs> yeah. flying above the water before disappearing seemingly into the waves. It splashed, military personnel can be heard, saying on the video. Seconds later, his ship, the USS Princeton, said the object reappeared on its radar 60 miles away. Wow. So even though this incident happened in 2004, it only became known to the public just recently. And, uh, I, you know, we have a lot of international listeners. I don't know that everybody knows what a Tic Tac is. Yeah. Um, Tic Tacs are these little candies like breath mints. And they're small, they're mints. small yeah. elongated, oval shape. Uh, so, according to, and that's what he was comparing this this viewing of, yeah. because on the radar, I think the, I think in real life it looked bigger, but on the radar it looked like a little tic tac. Um, quoting the report by NBC, quote Christopher Mellon, a top defense official in, Cl- in the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations, said in an interview that there was a lot of continuity between recent reports of unidentified objects and reports dating back decades. Hmm. So what we're seeing, and this is still quoting, what we're seeing are a number of distinct and different things, he said. Sometimes we're seeing 50 foot long object that can travel at hypersonic speeds and seemingly go into orbit or come down from altitudes of potentially above 100,000 feet. He went on to comment about the stigma surrounding individual reporting of incidents of this kind. The fact that TIC-TAC was seen by so many is the reason that it was reported at all. If it were seen just by one serviceman, it probably right. would have gone completely unreported. So on June 25th, 2021, this is just you know a few months ago, the mm-hmm. U.S. government released a preliminary report on UAPs instead of UFOs, yeah. largely centered on the evidence gathered in Navy reports in the last 20 years. The report came to no conclusion about what the UAPs were based on a lack of evidence, though they indicated there were no recordings of unexplained actual physical objects. Uh And I'm sorry that they were, in fact, recordings of unexplained actual physical objects and not false readings as individual instances had been detected by different types of sensors at the time, including visual observation. Yeah so
0: you've got you've got a, a ship and a plane and, and all, right so and many different people different it. vantage points right. sonar
2: yeah all of that so um the report theorized that they may have been the work of foreign governments but That there was no evidence to indicate that. An article in The Guardian quoting two experts in the area said that it was unlikely they were the the work of either China or Russia as, in their opinion, neither country has the capabilities currently to produce craft capable of achieving the sophisticated reported performance. Wow. The report indicated investigation into the area would uh, continue, including developing protocol for reporting unidentified aerial phenomena. The report indicated that of the sightings recorded, all except for one, which was confirmed as a weather balloon, (laughs) remain unexplained, clarifying that UAP probably lack a single explanation, and naming five categories of potential explanations for the objects observed between 2004
0: and 2021. So something's going on, but uh, it's been been seen by... So are by they not, on holiday? By, by not just coups, <laughs> but uh, by legitimate sources have seen these things, but what they are is unknown.
2: And so, yeah, so there's a, a shift into now scientists and military personnel. And every, they're starting to take it seriously right. and truly investigate it. Um And so for for our last little story, TikTok candy. (laughs) 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 They couldn't let all the hoopla go by without getting in on the excitement. Well, of course,
1: especially if you have the most recent thing saying it looked like a TikTok, (laughs) right?
2: So a couple. OK, so according to a couple articles that I found on the Internet, the Breath Mint Candy Company had plans to capitalize on recent events by launching mints into outer space.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: this was to happen. But here's the thing. This was to happen on August 4th with the help of Sent into Space, the world leader in high altitude balloon flights. So, you know, high altitude balloon flights okay. get right. To the edge to the the edge. Wait, wait,
1: you mean he couldn't get a ride on SpaceX? No, you know, you, so. would you would think. They would, you know, come put on, put Elon Put him up. on the Starlink satellite and pop him out. <laughs> yeah.
2: So the reports say that they would be sending a custom vessel into space that will transmit refreshing messages uh-huh. submitted by con- consumers to make... Connections with extraterrestrials. <laughs> so you could send your own little message.
0: Well, if we're going to meet him, we should have minty, fresh breath. That, <laughs> Make a good first impression. You the
2: vessel would also be filled with limited edition packs. Uh, the Tic Tac website draws particular attention. This is funny. <laughs> To the fact that the, that Tic Tac was launched in nineteen sixty nine, the same year we landed on the moon.
0: Oh, coincidence, <laughs> I think exactly. not. They say
2: it was okay, this is this is this sounds like you, Phil. Oh, they good. say that it was one small mint for man. <laughs> <laughs> one giant link into to refreshment for everybody.
1: Uh, right. <laughs> I like that. That's
2: good. But here's the thing, I can't find any more information saying that it actually happened. Uh, so there's maybe. no further articles and there's nothing <laughs> on the Tic Tac website. So you we can I'm either confirm nor
1: know. Neuro- Eye that we sent them out to space. <laughs> that's
0: right. And by the way, Tac, if you're looking, looking for, for a, a podcast to sponsor, we'd like to talk with you.
2: Yeah. And so, do you know how TikTok's got their name?
0: Uh, but the sound they make in the little box is that's what I
2: it. Yeah. Well, and that it's on their website under Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, they got their name by the sound, you know, it, that it makes when it opens, tick, tack.
1: Oh, wow, good, nice. And now it's time, boys and girls, for the trivia challenge. Right.
2: Okay, so you know how it works. Like and follow our Facebook page at Remnant Stew Podcast. Like and share this episode post. Put your answer to the trivia challenge question in the comments of that post. And the first person to do all of that will be the winner and will be mentioned in an upcoming episode of Remnant Stew.
0: And have our everlasting devotion and affection. Well, anyway, so here's our question. One of TV's most memorable space alien characters made a brief, and don't blink or you'll miss it, appearance and this iconic movie about a UFO visitation named The Space Alien and the movie.
2: And if here's a hint. Somebody will know this, I'm sure. Here's a hint. We mentioned the movie in the, in the episode.
0: Oh, yes, we did.
2: Remnants Studio is created by me, Leah Lamp. Dr. Stephen Meeker and I research, write, and host each episode, along with commentary by Phil. You're welcome. Our audio is also produced by Philip Sinkfeld. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod, with voiceover by Morgan Hughes. Special thanks to Judy Meeker and Harbin Gould. You can connect with us through our Facebook and Instagram. And if you have an idea that you want to hear us cover, just send us an email at staycurious at com.
0: Now, before you go, please hit the follow button so you won't miss an episode. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We really love seeing those reviews there. Share Remnant Stew with your friends, family, Your local ufologist. That's a urologist. That's a UFO. (laughs) And also (laughs) E.T. Until next time, remember to choose to be kind. And and always stay curious. curious.